Part two, Bruce Feldman, Fox Sports, SI.com on next year's draft class, the Josh Rosen tennis story that Simmons and I kind of murdered on the podcast uh, we did for the ringer last week. But just following up on some of the NBA stuff that we were talking about in part one, I've heard so many people go, okay, Boston and Philadelphia, this series is a, is a preview of what's the next five, you know, the next five years in the NBA. Maybe, maybe. And on paper right now, it would make a ton of sense. I mean, between the Sixers getting Kyrie and Hayward back and the fact they could Delta. probably trade, what was I just saying? The Sixers? Yeah, that'd be impressive. I, I, that would be weird if the Sixers, although Sixers would probably pull off some weird stuff with Cavs. Hey, they have Cavs, exactly. Right. So, excuse me, the Celtics, thank you. Great job on the correction there. The Celtics, uh, Kyrie Hayward coming back, the growth of Tatum Brown, Rozier, you know, the smart decision that they have to make, Horford. I mean, they can get really aggressive. Then there's this Kings, excuse me. Yeah, it's, it's not the LA Kings. Shout out to my guys. Um, but I mean, the LA Lakers pick, they ended up being the Sacramento Kings pick, which if you look at the life history of this, this pick, that could be another Sixers pick that's insanely high but was also traded in the deal looking back on it, which seemed like a massive price to pay to move up from three to one when this last draft was this deep. And obviously in hindsight, it's not fair when you look at it and say, well, wait a minute, you know, Tatum, you had, you, you, you got faults and traded a first round pick that could be insanely high. And so the Celtics could end up with that pick. The Sixers could end up with that pick. Um, so who knows what these off seasons are going to be, but I would remind everyone, I just don't know why with sports, why we never pay attention to history in that every time somebody goes, oh, you know, this is just going to happen. It doesn't. You know, it, it does happen sometimes, but when it's the long view thing, like Van Gundy saying the Warriors are going to win the next seven or eight titles, they may not win it this year. When it may have been the fourth year and it's still a chance it could happen, the fourth edition of Warriors and Cavs, and then you have, you know, football guys like, oh, it'd be stupid, so boring. Like, yeah, you know, look, the NBA has some stuff that's annoying, a little petty, a little soap opera-ish. But what if I told you there were nine, ten people that sat in a room and voted on which teams got to play? Like, how stupid would that be? And I love college football, but just in a vacuum, that that whole idea, yeah, yeah, we just have these people watch a ton of games and, you know, you know, three of them are slackers. And they vote on who plays in the national championship. And even though I thought they got it right uh, this past college football season. But the point is, is that, it may not be Warriors Cavs. And people wanted to act like this year sucked before it even started. And it hasn't sucked. This Houston thing's been incredible. This Philly thing is one of the greatest, it has a chance to be one of the greatest stories in the history of professional sports. It really does. Like this is, like when you think about what could happen with Philadelphia here and you're like, if this, some of this, like if they're in the finals, are you kidding me? But here's what's more likely going to happen. Instead of 10 years of Embiid and Simmons, it probably won't be. You know, is it going to be five years of it? Is it going to be five years with Boston and, and the Sixers duking it out here? I mean, I kind of hope so. I grew up on this series. I absolutely love it. They've played each other in the playoffs 19 times. Celts are 12 and 7 against them, but they've only played three times in the past 32 years. And the sneaky weird thing is I used to love Dr. J and that Sixers team in the beginning, and then I loved Charles Barkley, and then my father was so annoyed with me, and then of course, as soon as once it kind of got it out of me, and then was like all Boston guy, the Celtics stopped winning. That's a little dirty secret I haven't shared with a lot of people, but I'm opening up as I get a little bit older. But for anybody that goes, well, no, the Sixers, 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 like we got this, this is who it's going to be, Fultz is going to be a stud, maybe, maybe all these these things happen, but there are so many fan bases, Saruti, that would tell you, oh yeah, you mean like 
my T-Wolves in 97 when it was KG and Steph and Akeem Olajuwon, Barkley, Drexler, Mario Ellie swept them. And then all Barkley and those guys did from the Rockets said to about KG and Steph, and I'm talking about Marbury here, not Curry. That'd make them super old and it'd be weird. But they were like, it's just kind of funny because there's certain things I do remember as talk show topics back then before we had the mass talk shows that we have today. But it was, oh, dude, KG and Steph. And Barkley being like, those dudes are going to be nasty. And that he even said it. They swept him, and he said he went up to him. And you could see it. You can find this footage. He goes up to those dudes at the end of the the series in the first round. Is like, hey, you guys just keep doing your thing. He's like, I told him, like, they're next. Nope, because Steph doesn't get the max that KG gets. And speaking of 97, the Bullets, they had... Weber and Juwan Howard, both at 23 years old in 96-97. They were both basically 20 and 10 guys. Rod Strickland was 30. And by the way, NBA players love Rod Strickland. NBA players, like, you want a name of a dude who you're like, who didn't get enough love that was just flat, nasty out there, sick, couldn't do anything with him. Rod Strickland's the answer every single time. Write that down now. I don't care where you are. Send yourself a voice message. Rod Strickland. Um, so that Bullets team plays the Bulls. They get swept 96-97, but ah, no big deal. These two dudes are 23. They get swept by Jordan's Bulls at the end of this Bulls run here, so they're going to be good. Or a year later, Weber's going to be in Sacramento, traded for Mitch Richmond and Otis Thorpe. Or Oklahoma City fans, they're sitting there in 2012 being like, all right, we got a 10 years of Harden, Westbrook, and Durant, and we're going to, you know, or Harden's going to be out, and Durant, Westbrook, you know, excuse me. Yeah, Durant and Westbrook are going to exchange injuries certain times. You're going to blow a 3-1 lead and then Durant's going to pull. Um, you know, look, it happens all the time with these teams. We're just thinking, all right, foundation is solid. This is what it's going to be. So maybe it is Simmons and Embiid, but I mean, chances are Embiid's, I would still, I don't know. I mean, who knows? I don't ever want him to get hurt. Like people that have given me a hard time about the contract thing. I don't want him to be hurt for me to be right because I love watching him play so much. But I'd still, I think it's fair to put Embiid in a, I still worry about the guy every single time he falls down. Uh, that is my take on that deal. I'm going to pick Cavs, even though I think the Raptors are better, but I'm basically picking the Cavs, Rudy, because I can't imagine picking the Raptors, having them lose to Cleveland. And how sick I'll feel because I don't trust the Raptors. And I think the Cavs are in their heads a little bit. Uh, the Raptors should win this series. They've been the better team all season. I think they were the better team in their playoffs. The Wizards are a weird eight seed. I love Markeith Morris after the fact, also pointing out that he thought the Wizards were the better team. If you need any more evidence why that team will never get it. Um, I know Giannis said the same thing, but I, I kind of believe them. So, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and pick the Cavs against the Raptors, and I hate doing it, but I'm only doing it because I can't stomach the idea of picking the Raptors and having them lose. You know what just made me think of, uh, speaking of Bill Simmons, like his theory, his best player in a series theory, has taken a hit this playoffs. Big hit. Um, and I'm not, I mean, it's nothing against his theory. Are you, I are you telling him he sucks? No, I genuinely I agree with... Next week? No, 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 you tell him that I'm a big fan. But, hey, it's can't come on, Saruti. Yeah, Saruti says you're a fraud. Your whole thing. Yeah, yeah, you're not, yeah <laughs> your, your theories aren't legit. Um, no, but, I mean, I don't think his theory's bad, but like Giannis was the best player in that series. Um, uh, uh, who am I? Uh, Wall was the best player in that series. Um, well, Oladipo was the best player. No, well, that's a bit much, but... Yeah, I can't see. I don't know. Anthony Davis, though. Anthony, yep, yep. I mean, Westbrook was probably the best player in his series, so mm, take an yeah. L left and right. He may have not. I mean, 
thing uh, is, Mitchell, like, man, yeah. I, I just love that Mitchell had that moment so that the rest of the world, you know what I mean? For 82 games or 82 games, but having a couple weeks like Donovan Mitchell just had yeah. changes everything. Okay, I have one draft thought. We're going to get to Bruce Feldman here in a second. Uh, the Lamar Jackson deal. I do love the way, like, the Ravens loved this guy and they had to trade back in to get him. I don't know if Lamar is going to be any good. You've already heard me talk about all the Lamar stuff. Uh, I, I think it tells you a little bit about the league. Maybe it was the depth of the position that it took until a team tra- trading back into the draft for the 32nd pick to go ahead and take them. Um, it did get a little weird as far as which teams, you know, QB needy, you know, which teams would maybe even do something like the Chargers once they didn't take them in the middle of the first. Then you could see, all right, maybe Lamar is going to be in a little bit of trouble here. Those private meetings that weren't private, both of them with the New England Patriots were like, oh, this secret meeting Lamar Jackson had with Belichick. Oh, it'd make all the sense of the world. Well, when they took a tackle from Georgia, you knew they probably weren't going to then also take him, uh, later on because if they love him, you love him. So for the Ravens to argue that they love Lamar Jackson, Let's just recap what happened with the Ravens in the first round. They had the 16th pick. They could have taken Lamar when they loved him then. They didn't. They traded back to 22. They could have taken him with the 22nd pick. Well, they didn't. They traded out of that and moved back to 25. Well, now they'll take that Lamar Jackson guy that they love. Um, no, they took a tight end, Hayden Hurst, who I actually do like. And then they traded back in at 32 to take Lamar. So really... For all the Ravens pieces that I've read about how much they loved him, I guess they loved him enough, you know, to at least trade back in. They loved him so much they passed on him three times. I don't know if that is interesting to other people. It is to me uh, because I just, like, I, I'm like, what? Like, hey, baby, you're the only one for me. You've DM'd all of my roommates. True. But... They all said no, and you seem the most obtainable at this point. It's getting late. Anything on that, Surdy? Well, I think it's everybody's throwing on the the Bashadi audio of him saying that, like, oh no, we're not worried about you know a successor to Flacco because we have more concerns than that. And then they go ahead and like a a couple weeks later and draft basically his you know the guy that's going to take his job. I don't know. Yeah, you're you're right. There's no way. They valued him that high, but maybe they just didn't think he would. I don't know. Maybe they didn't think he would be there. And they're like, hey, we're going to have this one opportunity to kind of make a splash here. Let's go ahead and do it because our fan base is bored of Joe Flacco. Yeah. See, that's the thing is like, I read one piece. I forget where it was. I was reading all this draft recap. Because that stuff, team is so like, boring. Like, they're just yeah. so boring. They're well, so that was uninteresting. The point. Their attendance was terrible. So it's like, hey, we need to do something. He's still here. And he's going to play. He'll play probably this year. All yeah, I was going to say, you could play. play Flacco at quarterback and have him be be the backup and be like an offensive weapon type guy. Just get the ball in his hands while he's developing into being a, the, the guy who's going to take over in the future. Yeah, I guess I just, you know, I couldn't read any more stuff like the Ravens, you know, had always liked them. And blah, blah, and you're just like, they did. They passed them three times. All right. Um, little update on the life thing here, and then we'll bounce. Uh, I don't, I don't have a house yet. It sucks. There's no other way to say it. I'm putting off the movers big time. I'm ducking them like a credit, uh, you know, a debt collector back in the my 20s in New Jersey. Um, they're like, you know, hey, we, we have all your stuff. We still we still good to drop it off May 1st. I'm like, nope, I'm not going to call them back. Um, it's probably pretty stupid for me to admit all this stuff, but I don't care. You guys know how honest I am about this. Yeah, it's a good, uh, good call. Don't don't confront the problem. Just sort of ignore it. 
I do that. Well, all the time. this is this is the play though because I'm going to get charged for storage. Like the the minute I go, I have no idea when I can move in. I'm sorry, it could be May 15th now. Uh they're going to go, "All right, well, the clock is running now." So the longer I can delay that clock running, the long, you know, the longer I can go maybe having to get, you know, charge 100 bucks a day to keep all my stuff yeah, somewhere. Yeah, sneaky savvy play. Yeah, like I think this is smart. Whereas 20s it was totally don't confront the problem, creditor calling, you know. After a while, like anybody that knows the creditor game out there when you're a kid, or maybe you're just older and haven't figured it out. Uh, I started becoming numb to it. You know, some hardo gets on the phone, be like, well, we know where you live. I'm like, great, there's nothing here. You know, oh, well, you know, if you, you don't pay your bill, we're going to do this. But like, now, nah, you know, whatever. Like, I'll get to it when I can. It's not like I have a ton of money. I'm just keeping it from you. Like, I, you can yell at me and make me feel bad and get on my case, but this is my first rodeo and I know all the mean things you're going to say to me and it doesn't, doesn't mean anything like you can get as mad as you want it doesn't mean i get a raise so uh yeah so i'm trying to play the reverse with them and the mortgage company um they've been good uh little little frustrated about everything else but there's not really much i can do like getting super mad about it isn't going to make the house uh clear all these permits so i've been living i went up to carissa's place in malibu for a little bit which that's the other thing is like how much can i really complain when i get to hang out in a place in malibu so that's what I'm trying to do. Positive West Coast Ryan, Hammond Malibu, played some pickup hoops, Manhattan Beach, not very good. Uh, wait, oh, wait, what wasn't good? You're, you were me. the run there. No, me, Is me. Is the run me, good? Me. No, I was just, no, just shooting around a little bit. Nothing, nothing. No, but like the games, like are the guys that play there good? There's a game that's pretty good. And I, you know, I wouldn't even have hesitated years ago. And now I'm like, I don't know, dude. Public figure, sure you ready? Like maybe you get a couple, maybe a couple get a couple forty and older games, forty and over, and run around with those dudes, and then you go. Because I only, I still like to play in the younger games, you know. Uh, but if I play in like a game with the guys my age, you know. But I don't know. There's a lot. Of, depends. Uh, all right, I needed, a, I needed a ruling on this. I, I noticed this out in L.A. Oh, celebrity sightings. Let me see. The Equinox is loaded with athletes, all sorts. There's one athlete I can't remember who he is, and we both kind of look at each other a little bit. And he's he's a pretty big dude, like super athletic looking. Um, Jerry Hairston Jr. said hello to me today, and he pulled up in his Whoa. car. Yeah, and he was like, "Hey, Ryan," and I'm like, "Yeah." And he goes, "I'm." J-. I was like, "Yeah, dude. Yeah, I know who you are." I actually I think I was always super annoyed by him when he was with the Orioles back when I was hardcore Red Sox guy. But he was super nice. He said hello. He said we catch up. Um, there's a ton of athletes there, though. I'm trying to think who else. Girl from the NFL Network. It's a real who's who, Saruti. You would love it. But what I've noticed is that the, the full sleeve thing now is so – it like as a non-tattoo guy, I, I'm never going to get one. But I could see going, you know what would be fun is just a nice jacked arm full sleeve. Like that would – but it's it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. So I'm not going to do it. Yeah, it's um, probably too. I mean, listen, look, I, I I think they're they look awesome. I mean, it, well, first off, it depends like how it's done. Like some look like trash and some look good. You probably have to be a little bit ripped. Like you can't just have like that's why I wouldn't do it because my arms are just there's no really no muscle there or anything. So it kind of funny and too skinny. Yeah. Like you tattooed like a couple pencils, but I don't think I don't think at this point. If you just like show, like for instance, like Lionel Messi just showed up one season with an entire sleeve, and it was like, whoa, like you're 30 and you just got a sleeve like overnight. I think that would be too shocking if you did something like that. Yeah, I'm probably not going to get a full sleeve overnight. And like I said, I'm I'm not going to do 
this at all, but I, I think about it sometimes. I think about like, what would I do? I think the Lewis and Clark trail with different historical timelines from your wrist to your shoulder would be cool. <laughs> I think something having to do with nautical history would be cool. Definitely. Um, you know, bullets and skulls. Like, what am I going to join a bike gang? Probably not going to join a bike gang, yeah. although they'd have better housing than my current situation. If I join a bike gang this week, I know I'd have a place to flop with old lady on my backside. Um, that's what they call them. Not offensive. Just gang terminology. Read a book. Uh, but yeah, here's the deal. There was a guy waiting on me. I saw Vince Vaughn at a restaurant last night. Didn't say hi, even though I've met him three times. Thought it was a good time to just kind of lay back, see him again. Um, a guy had a full slate, a full sleeve, full sleeve and his right arm. Like there needs to be a minimum bicep diameter Definitely. for you to go full sleeve. And as you just pointed out, you kind of like you were the, the introduction to the novel that I was writing. Cause it's so true. This guy had a full sleeve and he looked like he weighed 130 pounds and was like six two. Now that's, that's like the skinny rocker type. That's yeah. a thing too. Well, those guys are just like have like zero percent body fat, don't really have a ton of muscle, but just have no fat, so they're shredded. Um, that's okay, but you need to have a cool job to do that. I feel like you can't just be like a guy and have that, you know? Yeah, uh, we got a bunch of questions. They're not any good anymore. I don't know what's going on. Although one question was great, and it said, "Would Russell Westbrook be able to beat up Russell Westbrook?" <laughs> And I think that's the best way to describe his game. Here's Bruce Feldman on next year's quarterback draft class, whether or not Rosen in a book I didn't read playing tennis makes him a better quarterback. And then I ask him about who's going to be at their place longer, Saban in Bama or Urban at Ohio State. And the answer will blow your mind. He's supposed to be my neighbor, but I haven't quite moved there yet, so... We haven't hung out yet, but Bruce Feldman of Fox, uh, if not the best, definitely one of the best, most plugged in college football guys going. I want to ask you about something that Bill Simmons and I were talking about in reference to Josh Rosen in tennis in the book that then you accused me of not reading. And I never told you why I didn't read that chapter, but that's another story we'll tell you off the air. Um, but what's up, man? It's good to catch up with you. It's been a while. I'm glad you were coming out to the right coast. Your life will be so much better. The only thing you'll miss is the Italian food. Everything else will be, everything else. We'll live up to the hype. Yeah, I wish I had more of an Italian background family-wise because I think I'd open up a pizza place right in Manhattan Beach. Um, but you know what? We'll worry about that later. I got I got other things. I got to be your bed. plan B. Yeah, plan B will be Rise Pizzas down at the beach, but I need a, a bed and a mailing address uh, before I can start taking over. All right, I uh, I was thinking about you for a couple reasons. I mentioned that, but. I saw a few guys, and, and we did this when I talked to Mel Kuyper here on the podcast as well, and starting to look ahead to next year's class. And I don't know if people really realize how bad it is, at least today, on paper. And quarterbacks have a way of the closer we are to the draft, the more we start finding reason to fall in love with these guys. But after what is, and still some of these guys won't be good, it's an extremely deep class in 2018. How bad, at least today, do you think 2019 is? It looks, at least right now, really bleak. And um, the one thing that I hate most about the way early mock draft stuff is that we end up really bagging on some of these guys. And some of them are college kids. You know, they're all college kids. But it's like, so all of a sudden I'm seeing, wait, Clayton Thorson from Northwestern, people think he's going to be a top 10 pick. 
you know, and <laughs> right, just your it. voice alone. And I'm like, oh no, poor Clayton. Yeah, but it's it's that way, you know. So I'm I'm seeing it. So I just reached out to a guy I know who's a defensive coach in the Big Ten and an NFL scout who I lean on who covers that area. And he was like, whoa, I'm not seeing that. Where'd you get that from? I'm like, well, easy back. I mean, I got it. It was on Twitter. He goes, oh, okay. Um, you know, look, I mean, that guy has has NFL size, but you know, the the reaction I had heard from people was kind of more game manager. They, when you talk to people um, around the sport, I think right now, the guys who would make some sense and go, okay, okay, these are guys on your radar potentially could be first or second rounders. I think Jarrett Stidham, who is now at Auburn, he's a really good athlete. He's, he's had a, you know, kind of a rocky path to get there. Right. But, Did he just uh, sit out too? Did he sit out the spring? He, you know, he he's yeah, he's been through a bunch. I'll, I'll just say that in terms of even since he's been at Auburn, you know, it's yeah. been a little bit rocky there. Um, but when he came out of high school, he's in the same class as Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold and Lamar Jackson. And before by the end of signing day, you know, he was considered by some people, some recruiting services, as the top quarterback in that group. I think he's a legit guy. Um, Drew Locke from Missouri is another guy who you'll hear as a top, as a possible first-round guy. And Drew Locke to me is interesting because he was a really, really good uh, high school basketball player, did all the AAU circuit, so he wasn't doing as much of the quarterback stuff. And when he, when he got to Mizzou, he really wasn't coached his first year by a real quarterback coach. And so he was really rough around the edges skills-wise. And then he worked out well with, with – uh, Josh Heupel, and Josh Heupel compared him a lot to another guy who's a really good all-around athlete, Sam Bradford, who he'd worked with, and can do a lot of the stuff, can throw from awkward angles just because he's really athletic. Put up huge numbers last year, but put up huge numbers last year against a really awful schedule. I mean, you looked at Missouri's offense, I think it was a top-10 offense statistically, but you started you know, digging a little deeper and go, man, they played some horrible teams in the second half of the year. And what I'd be concerned about with him is, especially with this buzz, because you're going to hear people talk about him like he'd be a top-five pick, which is entirely possible. But like I said, he didn't get really coached his freshman year as a quarterback, and now Derek Dooley has taken over as an offensive coordinator and quarterback coach, and those are roles he's never done. So who knows how well he's going to get coached this year. So to me, that would give me pause. And then just a couple other names that I think could be in the mix. Um, you know, Will Greer at West Virginia – former Florida quarterback. He's a he's another guy. He was a deceptively good athlete. He was a really good uh, basketball player growing up. Is he white? Uh, what, what's that? He's white, right? Yeah. He does. Yeah, he it like is Jesus de- a little bit. It is deceptive. Uh, but what, Wait a minute. I it looks like Jesus. Good. He has to go in the first round. <laughs> when I say deceptively good athlete, uh, his dad told me that when he was in, you know, doing all the uh, AAU basketball stuff, he, he, his team once beat uh, Grayson Allen's team in uh, a big wow. tournament. He could do 360 dunks. Uh, so I think when, you, when I say deceptively athletic, way more athletic than I think even West Virginia fans probably gave him credit for. And I expect him to have a huge year this year. He's got good receivers. The offense should be loaded. This, and he put up good numbers last year. So, I mean, he's intriguing. I could see, uh, you know, I could see him – at least getting getting on the radar potentially to be a first round pick. I don't know. You know, he's not a huge guy, but uh, he doesn't have the size that Rosen Darnold or certainly Josh Allen have. But I think he's somebody you're going to hear more and more of just because of 
because of the you know the system and the and the and the just the numbers he's going to put up. I'm going to um, give you a nice plug here, and then I'm going to come over and have you sign um, a, a copy of the book for me, if that's okay. Because I, I feel I feel really bad about this being your friend, but the QB, the making of the modern quarterback, came out. Was it three years ago, or is it three and a half? Yeah, it's like three and a half it's years a good, ago. Yeah. Right? Yeah, see, I think it's something I, like that. All right, so I'm going to go buy a copy of it. I would encourage everybody to check it out. And I think the reason when you called me out, because I was doing a segment on tennis, not with Simmons recently, but I was doing this like a year ago on the radio show when we started talking about um, just tennis players and how weird they can be because they're isolated and they're by themselves all the time. They talk to themselves constantly, and I've played a little bit. I'm not any good, but I just know how weird I get when I'm playing the sport and I, how I start talking to myself. And you're in Manhattan Beach. It's where Rosen is from. We know about the family. We know that whole deal. What did you learn about him going and kind of focusing in on the chapter on Josh Rosen? Yeah, he, that's how he was wired. I mean, this kid grew up as an elite tennis player, and so it's thousands of forehands into the same you know spot on the tennis court. So the hand-eye was really honed. But also some of the stuff you were talking about on that podcast, some of the stuff you were saying, you know, before about the quirky, you know, very isolated, insular tennis way, you know, that was him for a long time in that sport. And so he he was going to be, you know, an elite tennis player if he opted to stay in that route. But, you know, at some point, you know, he had he had said that he had really his body was outgrowing and his feet were big as, you know, he was not the average size tennis player. So where a guy who all of a sudden people look at and go, wow, he's got really good footwork and everything. When he was comparing himself to other, you know, top 10 national tennis players in his age, he was dwarfing them. And he was like, wow, those guys are a lot more nimble than I am. And uh, so what's interesting looking back at this was when I started, you know, kind of kicking around with uh, like this quarterback crop, especially him, because it was fascinating. He's in, you know, literally I would walk across, to go to the gym like right next to the tennis club that he grew up training at and um so i had talked to tom house you know who's tom brady's guy and who's drew Brees' guy and former you know major league picker pitcher and he's the leading like sports biomechanics guy in the country and i got to know tom pretty well while working on the book and i said hey i got this kid he's a he's a high school junior from like basically my town and he grew up as a competitive tennis player. I mean, that was all he did for a long time. And now he's branched out to football. He's really talented. And I said, do you see the correlations of how does that benefit him? And he said, no doubt it does. And then he pointed out that Drew Brees was his guy for, you know, 10 years, you know, plus that he worked with. And Drew Brees was an elite tennis player, not as good as Josh was, but he was, he was so good that uh, he beat Andy Roddick in a match. Now I think, I think uh, Drew is a couple years older than Andy, but still, I think it was like something where he was maybe two years older, but the fact that he could beat him, I think, speaks to how good he was. And obviously, Drew Brees has, has you know, phenomenal footwork for a quarterback. And so, you know, it took that a little further. As, as this draft process went on, uh, Josh Rosen ended up working with Tom House, not because of me, but it just like shows you how small that world really is and and those guys connected. So uh, we'll see. I mean, before the Drew Brees, um, Josh Rosen tennis quarterback thing, the only other guy I knew of who was a quarterback and a tennis player 
our old this is a blast from the past for you. Our old uh, ESPN colleague Jim Donnan, who played oh. college in the '60s, I think was like an all ACC tennis player and also like a really good quarterback at NC State. You know, but you know that was a, obviously a different era, but. You know, it was somewhat applicable there. Yeah, he was there on my way in. I mean, that was that was a long time ago. I remember, I remember Stanford Steve like loved him because they would talk games all the time. And then, I think Jim had a nick. There was like a nickname for the for the games he liked. They'd call him Jim Steamers or something. I, I, don't, I don't even know if that's. I think that, I don't know. If, I don't know. I forget because like. Stanford Steve is young and he, you know, this was all like, I was just 30, I think. And, and he, Stanford Steve's a couple years younger than me and he would come in and be like, Oh, Don and Steamers. He's got like three ACC games he loves this week. And I would just like laugh my head off because, and he would come by and hang out and then, you know, I didn't really hear from him again. Um, hey, is, is Rosen? Cause like I do this and I'll ask people, cause I always think it's funny when people think a quarterback like is a jerk and I get, okay, you gotta, you gotta have everybody like you, but I don't know if they have to love you. I think they just have to have to respect you and trust that like when you break the huddle, they, they believe in you. You know what I mean? Anybody that's ever played the position when you're playing and, and you break the huddle and you can tell nobody really has confidence in you, it's an awful, awful feeling. And Rosen can be a jerk. I, I just don't know if it's like a jerk to the level that's detrimental to his own growth. Or, you know, detrimental to how a locker room will react to him. Because I think all of us know a lot of the high school QBs were jerks. They were bullies, you know, because life was awesome for them. In college, you know, you're going to get sorted out a little bit here and there. But I'm just, I'll never just be turned off because a guy appears to be abrasive, especially when I know deep down all of these guys that I'm talking about all the time, I don't know any of them. You know, I don't know any of them. I've met them a few times. That doesn't mean I know who they are as people. No, and I think in the same, look, I, I spent a, a ton of time around Baker Mayfield relative to what I've spent around, you know, other other college football players. I can't say I know him, you know, that well. Um, but what I would go by is I do know a lot of people who have been around the UCLA football program. I know two of the three offensive coordinators that Rosen had, and I know those guys really well. Um, I've had conversations with a lot of just people around the program and what you keep getting back to is it's the people who probably don't know Josh Rosen very well that may have had either one interaction and thought it was a little awkward or something, and that's where it starts to lead to the whispers, you know, about like, oh, he's not a football guy or, you know, whatever. I think the thing that, you know, was kind of like a head-scratcher to me is when people are starting to talk about, oh, well, he comes from a lot of money. Guess what? A lot of quarterbacks come from a ton of money. You know why I know that? Because they they train with these private quarterback coaches who who are you know commanding thousands of dollars for them, and a lot of them have been doing it since they were in seventh grade. So that doesn't make him very different. Uh, he, like I said, I think you know sometimes people say, "Oh, he comes from Manhattan Beach or whatever," and they you know there's a lot of rich places. I mean, USC's had a bunch of quarterbacks who come from you know Orange County and pretty pretty well-off places i think there's a lot of guys who, who fit that mold where they come from come from maybe more than they are more than a lot of their teammates are and i i just think people get so hung up on it because you know you said before it's like you know people are looking for something and with a fine-tooth comb and if you want to believe it it's there i mean i i trust the guys who have you know either worked with them or spent a bunch of time around them to me the biggest concern with josh rosen is this, and it's not toughness. I think it's just the durability factor. I mean, he had concussions. 
he was banged up. Now, the tough, the reason why I wouldn't say toughness is because I know one of the defensive coordinators in the Pac-12 told me, he was like, we blitzed the hell out of him. We blitzed him 46 times. He kept on getting back up. He's tough as hell. Um, so it wasn't that, but it is durability falls into a kind of a little bit of a different category. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how he holds up. I know he got, he got drafted into a really good situation, though. Yeah, I, uh, he's my favorite one. I, I think I saw him do more NFL stuff. That's always my go-to line with Rosen. I saw him do more NFL stuff than any of the other guys. Um, but it doesn't hey, towards, that, towards that, Ryan, one quick thing. You know, I was at, it was a Thursday night game, UCLA against Cal. It was his true freshman year. And I sat by, um, the, the guy who's now, I think, the GM of the, of the Tennessee Titans and a bunch of other NFL personnel people. And they were, I don't know if they were all there to see Jared Goff. But Jared Goff was the big buzz there. Josh Rosen looked like twice the player Jared did. And I'm not saying, you know, Jared's, you know, Tom Brady or anything, but Jared's turned out to be, you know, looks like he's going to be a really good uh, NFL quarterback. And I think Josh has all that stuff that people love Jared Goff for. And I think there's probably even more, you know, more juice in him than that. Now, maybe he doesn't, maybe Jared has some things that people, you know, his personality is a little more even keel and that probably sits well, but. If you asked anybody that night, I think they would have told you Josh Rosen's a much more talented quarterback than Jared Goff. Wow, um, but I don't think that's shocking. I, I don't that actually doesn't shock me now when I think about just the, the nights where I've looked at Rosen and, and been really impressed. I got to make sure I was I was off mic there a little bit. I apologize, to all the listeners. Um, right now, you're a say you're a, you're a, well. I know you are a parent, but let's go. You have a kid. Uh, he's getting ready to sign. Everybody wants him. Every major program wants him. He's a quarterback. You want him to play in the NFL. Everybody's on the same page. Give me the program, the D1 program that you would most trust to take your top prospect quarterback kid and groom him for the NFL. Um, you know, it's, it's hard because I look at that and I sit there and go, you know, I'm not playing to Stanford Steve here, but like if my kid, you got a pro style offense and you got the best education in major college football at Stanford. You have everything you think you would need. You're going to play behind what's probably going to be a really good offensive line. But the part that's missing is since Andrew Luck's been there, they have struggled to develop a guy. And so that gives me a little bit of hesitation. But I would start with that. I mean, there's other programs that have, have produced a lot of, you know, probably a lot more prominent quarterbacks of late. I would consider, though, um, you know, all the things that are that are involved in that. And that's why I said, you know, to me, as long as David Shaw is there, I think Stanford would be a tough option to look in the other direction from. Because where, whatever you see here, I mean, look at the last couple of drafts. I mean, the, the, the staff that's now at Wyoming has had two guys who were top ten picks wow. in the last wow. three years. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, think to, you know, uh, realistically, I'm not going to, wouldn't want to send my son if he was the greatest high school prospect into the Mountain West. I mean, it's just, you know, I'm just <laughs> that, being realistic. Right. Yeah, right. I, would you yeah. have answered Harbaugh two years ago? I probably would have because back then he had a grad transfer in Jake Rudolph who played well, you know, better than he did at Iowa. And he had that track record of what he'd been doing, and it was rolling. But now, I mean, I did a, uh, a Michigan game last year where uh, Wilton Spate got hurt and then John O'Corn went in there. You would think they would be a lot better, 
But it, to me, it speaks to a little bit, I don't want to use the word dysfunction because that's too strong, but it speaks to a little bit of the staff instability that was around there. I mean, a couple of years ago, it was Jed Fish working with Jim Harbaugh on the passing game. Jed, you know, Jed left to go to UCLA, and then Pep Hamilton came in, and it struggled. And you know, now now Jim McElwain's there, and we'll see how it goes. Pep's still there, um, so yeah, it's a little shakier, no doubt. I mean, look, one of the wild cards to me in this whole quarterback 2019 talk, and it's a big wild card, but because he hasn't been named the starter yet, but Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State is a super talented kid. He can throw the heck out of the ball. Um, you know, I spent a you know a little bit of time in Columbus the other you know last week, and that's that system, you know, with Ryan Day there with Kevin Wilson, the way Urban Meyer structures things, they develop players. They're going to be around a ton of talent. It would be that would be a, a definite consideration. Um, you know, if you're looking at where is a kid going to really get groomed? Now, the question is, who's going to be the guy? You know, like. One of these staffs, and I think it's hard to kind of frame it this way, but if you really love the offensive coordinator, if it's at a school like that, the offensive coordinator, by the time your kid's a sophomore or junior, he might be a head coach someplace else, just like Tom Herman was. Um, yeah, that, that's see, that that's why I love the Haskins was the kid that all the recruits were saying start right over JT, wasn't that the thing? Yeah, was that was it. Yeah. I mean, he can throw the and hell he came out of in. He actually looks really impressive. So um. he, he looked really good against Michigan. The, the only knock on him is just—I don't think it's maturity. But when I talked to one of the strength coach there, it was just like he's getting to the levels of what we want, you know, into the not even to the elite levels of like working and all the intangible stuff that they're trying to measure. The stuff that JT Barrett, quite honestly, was like almost off the charts for them at. And so now this kid's gotten better, but he's being pushed. There's a kid there who's a coach's son, Joe Burrow, who's talented, really talented. So I think that's a good battle. But Haskins, Haskins' arm is a wow arm, and he's got everything in place where if he takes over that job, I could see people buzzing about Dwayne Haskins because his arm is better than almost every guy that was listed on those mock drafts. Is this a lame question, which is an awesome tease? And if, if you go, hey, I don't want to answer that because I'm just guessing because it's stupid, but it's a really, it's great for television. If I were doing a radio show, I'd say, we'll have Bruce Feldman on next to ask him who'll be at his post longer, saving at Bama or Meyer at Ohio State next. Um, but I'm going to ask it to you anyway. Yeah. My guess is it'd be, it'd be saving just because yeah, he'll I think he'll be that Bama. I mean, even though he's, he's what's older. that? So you think Bama? All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Just answer. I interrupted you. I, even though he's 10 years older, Urban's only 53. I mean, I know, that's why I was shocked. 60s. But I just don't see Urban wanting to coach, uh, when he's 60. And, you know, I could definitely see Nick Saban. The only other thing I could see Nick Saban doing is not going to the NFL, but I could see him, you know, sit on the set with Reese Davis and Kirk and, and do something because he's good at it. And I could see him doing that. But right now, he's so built it to, he's got everything the way he exactly could want it to be there in Tuscaloosa, whereas, I mean, I have this story coming out um, later this week about Urban Meyer, and the, the basically the headline of the story is, what keeps Urban Meyer up at night these days? And it's not, uh, has nothing to do with Tuscaloosa, it definitely has nothing to do with what's going on in Ann Arbor. It has everything to do with all these other real-world issues that he's kind of consumed by, and he's, it's almost like he's very frenetic in it. I just... 
you know, I could see him coaching, a, you know, a few more years. I just don't see him coaching when he's 60, whereas I don't see what's slowing down Nick Saban at any point. I just think he's a football machine right now. Wow, I think that would surprise a lot of people because of the age thing that you say there. Can you give us any hint on, I mean, your story's coming out, so I don't want to ruin it, but can you give us any hint and share anything on that urban thing? Yeah, I mean, what it, what really is is, so we do, we had uh, our my crew at Fox, we had Ohio State twice, and you go into his office on, on Friday afternoons, and the TV is co- always on to cable news, like 24-hour news, and he is just so, you know, I talked to a lot of guys close to him on the staff and him, and we kind of just like almost like hit a nerve where he was really interested in talking about it, but he is so, again, consumed with all of this stuff. The, we're like, talking like Trump, me, like, world politics here? We're talking day-to-day this? We're ta- yeah, I mean, this is what he said. He goes, right now I have what he's called our four pillars, and he said it is the issue of the opioid crisis. It is the issue of anxiety and depression. It is the issue of uh, sexual violence. And the fourth one was concussions. And he said, it's like, are we doing enough for our players to keep them, you know, on top of all these things? And so, you know, when I heard the opioid crisis, and obviously I know a lot of, a lot of college football players and just a lot of people are, you know, get involved with marijuana and I've turned on the news enough to know about the opioid crisis, but I said, I, how did it kind of cross into such a realm with him? And one of the guys he works with on staff just said, you know, when he goes out on the road and he goes recruiting, you know, he went to the hometown he was from in it's Northeast Ohio. And that place is like, I guess it's overrun with it. And so it just becomes one of these things where I think he sees it, he hears about it and it just like, he's got to do something about it. And so, that becomes a huge thing, uh, you know, not just for him, but then for that staff where I'm probably more so than any other staff I've heard of, they are really, you know, engaged with their players on what do we need to do and how do we need to handle this? I mean, everything from the police uh, community relations stuff to the Kaepernick protests, uh, there was a, it was just a kind of eye-opening to hear these guys talk about it as much as they did. That's, so that story's coming out. Um, when, where are we going to be able to see that one? Uh, should be able to see it by the time this podcast is up. It's supposed to go up, I think, actually. We're, we're talking Monday afternoon, and it's supposed to go up Tuesday morning. Okay, and where you'll have that on? Yes, it'll be on SI.com. Okay, SI.com. Just making sure. Okay. Um, hey, man, thanks a lot. And hopefully the next time I talk to you, it'll be in person and we'll be neighbors and I can I can show you my place, but I'm not... Banking. That would be awesome. So I'll bring I'll bring the booze, and you can uh, you can bring the sunshine. <laughs> All right, man. I just need an address. Thanks, Bruce. Talk to you soon. All right, anytime. Take care.